welcome to this presentation of Bethel Family Church. We hope you enjoy listening and that it helps you to grow closer to Jesus. We're going to continue talking. This is the last message in the series that we've been doing on the return of the King. The last three weeks have kind of been looking at some of the things that Jesus spoke about His return, about His coming back. This, because this is the last message, if you've got any questions still about any of that kind of stuff, end time stuff, feel free to ask me about other stuff later. But just be prepared that the answer might very well be, I don't know. <laughs> There's lots of stuff about all this that, that I don't know. There's lots of stuff that even like people who spend a lot of their lifetime studying this stuff still disagree about. Uh, so I'm not here to try to give you the, the be-all and end-all definitive explanation of everything that's going to happen when Jesus comes back. Sorry, I know, that's disappointing. That's what you're hoping for this morning. I, I don't think any of us can really know that. Uh, God knows that stuff and, and some of it is just about trusting that He knows that stuff and He's got that stuff and because He is good, we know that it will be good if we are in Him. And our focus in this series has been not on the details of, oh, this is going to happen or that's going to happen or it's going to be this beast or that monster or, you know, that creature or that angel or whatever, seals or trumpets or all that kind of stuff, you can get into all that, but our focus has been on how do we live ready for Jesus' return? How do we live ready? We don't know when it's going to be, but we want to be ready, don't we? The apostles taught that Jesus' return was, was going to happen any day. And some people say, oh, well, they must have misunderstood something that Jesus said. They must have got something wrong somewhere along the way because, you know, they thought, you know, from the way that they spoke, you'd think they were thinking that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. In fact, the, the reality is they were just teaching the way that Jesus taught because Jesus' return is meant to be thought of as any moment. Jesus' return is meant to be thinking of, uh, is meant to be thought of in those terms of, you know, it could happen any day, it could happen any moment. Uh, and so they were just teaching the way that Jesus taught and, and encouraging people and teaching people to live ready for His return. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what that means in, in some respects. We've been talking about how it means we don't leave things undone. You know, if relationships are broken, we want to fix them. We want to sort things out between one another. It means that we live wisely. It means that we don't want to get too attached to stuff of this earth because Jesus' return could be any moment. We don't want to get too attached. We don't want things to start to kind of become too important. They begin to have power uh, over us. But we want to keep Jesus first and foremost and we want to keep our passion alive for him and for his, his stuff. We want to be passionate about the king, about doing the king's business and to love him first and most. And there's, uh, so our focus today, as you can see, if you can read up there, is Judgment Day. And one of the really important themes throughout the Bible, particularly when we're talking Bible prophecy, particularly when we're talking about end times and understanding Jesus' return uh, one of the themes that kind of comes through as being a really important theme is this topic of judgment. 
And uh, I'm going to read some passages uh, from Revelation 19 and 20 and 21. And then we're going to have a, back, a comeback. So if you want to open your Bible there, if you brought it, you can open there. We're also going to look at the rest of Matthew chapter 25 this morning that we've been looking through Matthew 24 and 25 as Jesus himself taught about his return. And, and in, in those passages, we're going to look at some of the things that Jesus spoke about with his disciples to prepare their hearts to prepare their minds to be fruitful and productive while he was away. We're going to start with Revelation. So I've kind of got the end. So we're starting with the end this morning. (laughs) You know, because it's kind of a little bit like that. I don't have the words for this passage up on the screen. I'm going to kind of read through a bit fairly quickly. If you want to go back over this later and study it, I encourage you to do that. But if, I, I just want you to kind of get this picture this morning. John paints an amazing picture. And I just as I read it out to you this morning, I want you to just kind of get the picture of what this is, kind of what he's trying to portray, what he's seeing, if you like. We can't see exactly. He's describing things in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm that there's no correlation to on earth. So it's a little bit tricky, but we're going to try and allow these words that John speaks to build up a picture. All right, so Revelation 19, we're starting from verse 11. He says, And I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Uh, Verse 19 says, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Right in the dramatic moment too, mate. It's going to take you a while to live that one down. Okay, the army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Isn't that a lovely picture? (laughs) Revelation 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Verse 7, when the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison 
He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army. As numberless as sands on the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It's quite, a, quite an intense kind of picture, isn't it? It's an amazing kind of thing. What it must it have been like for John to have kind of see this vision of all these things unfolding before him things there'd be things he understood things he didn't understand and he's kind of this this intensity and they said but there's some things that 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 we kind of read in this story we read that there will be an end that there is an end coming and there will be one victorious one who will emerge the rider on the white horse his name the king of kings the lord of lords the Lion of Judah and the Lamb that was slain. He is the Lord God Almighty. His name is Jesus. And even though the, the beast kind of gathers all these, these multitudes and these armies and these forces to array against him, they're, they're just wiped out like nothing. Like there's, they, they don't have a chance. There's not even a, a, an epic battle, you know. We love movies with epic battle scenes as long as they don't drag on too long. Don't we? <laughs> but, but there's not even a battle. It's just like God, God just speaks and poof, fire comes down and they're all just wiped out. It's, all, it's almost anticlimactic, isn't it? But they don't, have, they don't, they don't even have a chance. There, there isn't even a battle. It's just finished and it's just done. And then there's this series of judgments. 
and the, 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 the books are open. Oh, sorry, the, the judgments where the, the deceiver, the devil, he's thrown into the lake of fire and death's thrown into the lake of fire and the grave's thrown into the lake of fire and Hades is thrown into the lake of fire and um, it's like this big clean out. It's like Kerry's always telling me she wants to do it in my office. <laughs> let me in there, let me throw everything out. <laughs> no, get away, it's my stuff. <laughs> I'm not a hoarder. <laughs> and, and so we see these, these books are opened up. And it's good to know. Who, who's happy that there's going to be books in heaven? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and things are checked. There's kind of this official record of, of, of things that happened and things are going to be checked off and, and an account is given. But there's this one book, the book of life, uh, and it's going to be checked. And if your name is written in the book of life, then, then you're good, you're, you're fine, like, you know, kind of come on in, everything's sweet, but if your name is not written in the book of life, you're in trouble, you're done, you're finished. It's very important to remember and to keep in mind that God has no interest in kind of preserving this earth, this earth was never meant or designed to last forever. God has no interest in keeping around the things that belong to the, the earth and the, 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 the things that are attached to it. There, there was once a time when there, were, there was so much evil in the world, and we read about this in, in the story of Noah, there's evil in the world and God kind of wiped the slate clean, hit the refresh button, you know, F5, you know, he just kind of wiped it off and, and started again. But he's not going to do that again. This time it says, and we just read that in the picture, like everything is wiped, he's going to, wipe away the slate and everything that's on it and nothing of earth as we know it is going to remain no money no power or prestige no none, no glory no earthly kingdoms no earthly pleasures none of the kind of stuff that that we know and recognize are going to continue to exist even it even says heaven is going to be done away god's even going to destroy heaven and he's going to create this kind of whole new system, this whole new thing where earth and heaven are kind of smooshed together so that it all exists in the one place. That's the technical term, right? Smoosh, yeah. <laughs> and we read, like, it's going to be awesome because there's no longer going to be this, this separation between us and heaven, but it's going to be together. It says God will dwell among his people. God will dwell with his people. This is a really kind of, this is a, a, a big thing. It's a serious kind of thing, isn't it? It's one of the most intense and kind of one of the most serious concepts that we read about in the Bible, I think, is that one day everything will come to an end and that everyone will stand before God. Everyone will give an account of what we did, what we said before the great judge. Now, up until this point, we've kind of had, and we've been talking a little bit about this kind of, this idea of two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of uh, man or the kingdom of the devil, if you like, Satan in some sense, and the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus came proclaiming and talking about the kingdom of heaven. He came to explain and reveal uh, what it means that we can now sort of be part of the kingdom of heaven even while we're still here. But the thing is, like, not everybody, we, we understand that the kingdom of heaven has not fully come yet, has it? Not it, you know, there are still people who don't want to submit, that don't want to be part of God's kingdom. 
And that's, you know, it's a part of the reason that we still see so much suffering, while we still see so much evils, while we still see much brokenness and pain in our world, is because not everything yet is submitted to the way God wants them to be. In God's kingdom, everything is done His way all the time. In God's kingdom, everything submits to the values of God. Everything is done His way. Jesus rules with absolute authority. But Jesus taught us, didn't He, that the kingdom of heaven is actually within us and it's growing. Jesus' rule kind of, in in some ways it started small, but prophecy in the Bible talks about how uh, of His kingdom there will, you know, and of it it'll increase without end and it will continue to increase. There would be no end to, to its expanding and its growing and it's, it's not ever going to kind of diminish or become less or, or be less powerful, but it's going to grow and grow and grow until it takes over everything else. And the kingdom of the world is kind of, even though sometimes it doesn't necessarily always look like this to us, but the kingdom of the, the, this earth is in decline. It's declining and one day it's going to be gone forever. At a point there will come an end when everything will just be finished and it will be done. The kingdom of earth will be swept away and only the kingdom of heaven will remain. And Christ will rule absolutely. And he will completely destroy everything that does not submit to him. 1 Corinthians 15 says, After that the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. And we read that, didn't we, in, in Revelation, where death itself was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a hard thing for me to understand how an intangible thing can be thrown into a, a tangible thing, but God seems to work things differently, so it's okay. I trust him. But there's no more division. There's no more of this two kingdom kind of stuff. After the end comes, it's just one kingdom. One kingdom where Jesus rules and Jesus reigns and everything is done his way all the time. There's one Lord and master of it all. I don't know. Do you ever get surprised by people's kind of attitudes towards heaven? The way that they kind of think. I mean, when you talk to a lot of people, I know that there's sort of, you know, the, the cool, tough kids that go, oh, no, we want to go to hell where, you know, we can party and all that kind of stuff. But normal, sensible thinking people, if they're being honest, will kind of feel like uh, they want to go to heaven. But even people who don't really want to have anything to do with God, even people who... Um, don't want to listen to Jesus and submit to his rule now. They don't really even like him that much because he's too bossy and he tells them what to do or what not to do if, uh, in some cases. Um, uh, and, but they still kind of think that somehow, even though they want nothing to do with God now, that, that heaven will be this kind of great place. It's like, well, heaven is really all about God. If you think... You know, if you don't want anything to do with Jesus now, why would you want to go to a place where everything revolves around Him and He's at the centre of it all and everything is done His way all the time? Absolutely. I think sometimes uh, sometimes there's this kind of thing where people get this really mixed up idea of 
what heaven and you know what heaven is like and what heaven is and what the concept of it really is about and we see it in movies and tv shows and all this kind of stuff you know some of them are, are quite popular but it's almost like this this picture of heaven that's just a place for the good people you know if you earn enough points if you're a decent enough human being that's where you just get to go and you know you kind of get to be happy but the reality is that heaven is god's place Heaven is the place where God is at the centre, where everything finally submits to God's values, to God's authority. Everything and everyone submits to doing things His way. There's no rebellion. There's no going off and having parties and getting drunk and, you know, free sex and all that kind of stuff. It's, It's not like that because everything in heaven is about God's values and God's authority. In heaven, everything is about Jesus all the time. There is going to be a lot of worship in heaven. We talked about that a little bit last week, you know, when we kind of looked, uh, where if you read through the book of Revelation, there's something like 15 odd times when the angels or the elders or the beasts or whatever, all of a sudden they just start breaking out into worship. They start declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, He was and is and is to come. And there's just time after time, it's like John gives us a little bit of a vision and then they break out into worship again and worshipping the Lamb that was slain and the, the King and the, the, the Lion of Judah and, and just worshipping. If you don't really like spending time with God, if you're not interested in surrendering to God now, no one's going to kind of force you to come into heaven, but that's what it's going to be like. Jesus spells out very clearly that there's only one way to heaven. And it's through him and heaven only has one king. Heaven only has one Lord. We're not all going to be in charge of ourselves. We're not all going to be, we can't be our own kings in heaven. There's only one king in heaven. And so Jesus talks about this this kind of judgment process that prevents people who shouldn't be in heaven from entering into heaven. And it's a very serious thing. So we're going to have a look at now at these two parables in Matthew 25 because Jesus is telling us a little bit about this judgment day, about this judgment and, and what it's going to be like. So Matthew 25 from verse 14, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver... Uh, also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, look, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. 
So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. Look, look, look what I've got. The master said, well done, my good faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Come, let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. Makes me think of that, you lazy little leech. <laughs> Uh, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? Then I could have gotten some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of sounds like a harsh judgment sometimes when we read that story, doesn't it? There's a lot of lessons that we can learn from this parable. I want to really just focus in on the, the hearts of the servants who appear before the master. In this parable, there are some kind of common themes, common elements uh, that, that we see in the stories that Jesus told about his return, don't we? We see master and servants. We see the master who goes away on a long trip. We talked about how Jesus kind of often emphasized that he would be away a long time. We see the master entrusting his goods, his possessions, his money to his servants. And when he comes back, there's an accounting of what they did with what they'd been entrusted with. They were all given different amounts according to their abilities. We know that not everybody has the same kind of ability uh, or talent to do things, don't we? We see people who just are, are super talented and see, you know, everything they touch seems to just be successful and, and prosperous. And, you know, we kind of, sometimes we kind of like, oh man, I wish I could get a little bit of that person's success. <laughs> And then there are just kind of us regular people and, and God knows that, doesn't He? He knows and He doesn't have the same expectations of, of every person. He knows that He doesn't give five bags of silver to the two bag guy because He knows that two bags is what He can deal with faithfully and, and, and appropriately and what He can manage and so He gives him two. And, and God, is, it's, it's a little bit like that with us as well. It's kind of like there's not the same expectations of, of everybody but there's this proportional expectations that God has because he knows us he knows who we are he knows what we're capable of and what our capacity is but listen to the the words of the first two servants the guy who had five bags of silver and the guy who had two bags of silver there's that when they come back 
Do, do you hear that in that excitement, that eagerness to show the master what they've accomplished, to show the master what they've done while he's been away? There's that, you know, that sense of master, kind of, you know, look what I did, see what I, see what I did for you. They don't complain. We don't hear complaining, do we? We don't hear them saying, oh, master, it was so hard. You know, I managed to earn some money for you, but, you know, boy, did I have to work really hard for that. You know, look at these calluses I've developed on my hand from slaving away, you know, or, you know, look at these worry lines that have developed stressing out over, you know, whether I was going to lose some money or not. We don't, we don't hear that. You know what else we don't hear? We don't hear, oh, this better be worth it. You don't know what I've sacrificed for you. <laughs> All my time. Do you, do you ever hear that? Sometimes I hear that in my head. Sometimes I hear, Jesus, there better be a really good reward because I'm making sacrifices for you. That's probably just me though. Just me, yeah. <laughs> but we don't, we don't hear that, do we? We just hear this eagerness, just this joy of being able to please the Master, being able to, to, to celebrate with Him and go, Master, I... You know, I, I earned this for you. The, the, the sole thought that they had while the master was away was, how can I make my master happy? How can I earn more of the stuff that my master had? How can I do more of this? The unfaithful servant, there was kind of a difference in the way that he spoke, wasn't there? We, and, and we see like, there's also almost an eagerness for him to come and, and, and present himself before the master, but not for the same reasons. There's not an eagerness because he's, he's pleased with what he's been able to do. There's an eagerness because he feels like he's got to explain things before the master passes judgment. And you kind of, the, the first words out of, out of his mouth, it's, he's almost blaming the master, isn't he? He's like, first words kind of reveal some of what's in his heart and the relationship that he has with the master. The first words out of his mouth are, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were harsh. I knew you reaped where you didn't sow and, and, and cultivated, you know, where you didn't, whatever it was, can't remember the word. I knew you were mean. I knew you were hard. And the master replies, you, you wicked and lazy servant. You, you, if you were that afraid, you should have at least been motivated to go and put it with the bankers and at least get something. If you were that afraid of, you know, that I'd come back because, you know, I, 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 I harvest where I didn't plant, then you should have at least come back with something. But it's, it's almost like this servant seemed unwilling to serve the master. Now, what does that, what does that mean? What do we take from it? Does that mean that, you know, if I don't maximize what God's given me, that he's going to kind of throw me out of heaven and, you know, the whole weeping and gnashing of teeth kind of thing. Is that, is that what Jesus is saying in this parable? Is that, is that what he's demanding? Is God that kind of judge that says, oh, if you didn't, you know, get a 100% return on the things that I put into your life, that's it, you're done, you're finished, you're out? Not enough. No, it's not. That, that, that picture of it isn't consistent with what we know of, of God and, and who He is, and, and it's not consistent with our picture of how He talks about our salvation in Jesus, is it? But that was the way the unfaithful servant thought. He thought, I'm just going to do what I have to do to avoid getting into trouble. 
just going to do what I have to do. He didn't really want to do the master's business, did he? He wasn't really interested in trying to do things that, that pleased the master. Can you hear his voice? Like, oh, do I have to? Like he's, you, you get the impression he would have been happier if he'd been given nothing and entrusted with nothing, don't you? Do I have to? Sometimes I hear my kids' voices when I say that phrase. <laughs> do I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to do the right thing? Do I have to obey the master? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to give my money? Do I have to help people? Do I have to forgive people? Do I have to? That's religion, isn't it? Religion is doing the things that you have to do. Going around and doing the things to make sure that the master doesn't get mad at me and kick me out of heaven. It's like, do I have to? The first two servants love doing the master's business. They love to share in his joy. They're both rejoicing together, aren't they? There's this excitement. Let's look at this next parable, Matthew 25, verse 31. You might know this one. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? We don't remember that. When did we see you a stranger and show you hospitality? When did we see you naked? I'm sure I'd remember that. <laughs> when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me, you were doing it to me. And the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is a picture that Jesus uses to describe that final judgment. Same one that we kind of read about in Revelation at the start. But I, I, I kind of I look at this and think this is not sort of the judgment, the kind of judgment that we sort of think about sometimes, is it? It's not the kind of judgment where he's like trying to work out how good we were. There's just 
there's sheep and there's goats. It's not like he's trying, he's not trying to work out how much percentage of sheep you are. Like, you know, are you you like, you know, more than 50% sheep and, you know, uh, just a little bit goat or, no, it's it's like either one of, there's no half-halves, is there? When they come and they appear before the throne, they're either sheep or they're goats. And we know that the sheep represent the, the faithful ones, his people, the sheep are his and the goats are not. They're yucky and they're goatish. <laughs> Sorry if you have a thing for goats, I don't know. It's biblical. Sorry, it's right there. No. But but they're either his or they're not his. And it's it, it's sort of judgment, not in the sense of working out you know, whether you've done enough good stuff, but it's judgment in terms of, you know, like, I, I think of the word in terms of the, the judge handing down his ruling. It's called a judgment. He hands down his judgment. And it's a little bit like that. He's just kind of handing down his judgment on those who don't belong to him. And he's welcoming those in who belong to him. He's separating the, the sheep from the goats. Now, God didn't make them sheep or goats, did he? Now, when we see, you didn't kind of, you know, go like, you're a sheep, you're a goat, you're a sheep, you're a goat. It's like, they, they just were. When they got there, they, that's what they were. And the sheep come on in and the goats don't because they're goatish and they don't belong there because it's just for sheep. And it's obvious to God, isn't it? When he's sorting them out, he's separating them and it's not like it's not a long process. It doesn't take a lot of time. And it's like obvious to God who are the sheep and who are the goats because he knows who are his. He knows the ones that are his own. But it's not always obvious to us, is it? Even to the people in the story, even to the sheep and the goats in the story, they're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, you can hear the confusion in their voice, can't you? Jesus is saying, oh, you, you, you gave me clothes when I was naked. And they're like, we don't remember that. We were just, you know, that, we, were just, we just saw those people and they needed help and so we helped them. No, we didn't know it was for you, Jesus. Even the goats, you kind of get, the, you know, they're, they're like, oh, Jesus, if we'd known it was you, if we'd known it was you, we would have done it. We would have helped them. But the king knows the difference. The sheep didn't do the, the master's business in order to impress the king. They didn't do it to get a gold star or a, a tick in the box. They did it because they had his heart in them. They did it because they loved the things that the master loved. They did it because they were growing. It came naturally to them because they belonged to Jesus. God's word says that when we come to him, when we give him our heart, when we surrender to him as king and lord of our life, that he transforms us, that he gives us, he takes out our old heart of stone and gives us a new heart of flesh. It says he writes his laws on our hearts. It says he begins to change and transform us from the inside out. And when we truly surrender to the gospel, this is the power of the gospel, that when we truly surrender to Jesus, when we truly accept the gospel, it begins to transform us and change us and we can't help it. The sheep do the things that the king loves because they love the king and they love to be like him. They help people because that is what makes the master happy. Being a Christian is not just about following the rules and ticking the boxes and keeping the law. It's about loving Jesus 
and learning to love the things that He loves. Jesus is, is saying, is declaring, I think, in these stories that when the end time judgment comes, it's not really a ticking off of how many good things you did or how many bad things you did. It's not about who you, did you do enough? That's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is, you know, that, that, that's a different gospel. That's not Jesus' gospel. Jesus' gospel says, I did it. And, you know, it's, it, it's not about works. It's not about, did you do enough? not about if you did a bunch of stuff but it's about did you know the king of heaven and the reasons behind those things become the reality of christ in us why do you worship why do you serve why do you do those why do you help people because you have to or because you want to jesus is coming back for the ones who love him and want to be with him have you given your life to Jesus? Has He done that, that transforming? Is that, has that taken place within you? If you have, then fan it into flame. Let it come alive. Let it be the most important thing in your life. Let it be all that you value and love. If you love something that God doesn't love, then get rid of it. Train yourself not to love it anymore. Love Jesus and love His ways. That's what heaven's all about about being with Jesus and loving the things that he loves doing his stuff and it starts here it's not just later it's now and it's here there's a lot of stuff that I don't understand and and I'm pretty confident in saying there's a lot of stuff that you might not understand as well about what's going to happen at the end what it's going to look like but I do know this number one Jesus wins in the end absolutely unequivocally not even close jesus wins yes number two jesus will take care of his jesus will take care of his sheep jesus will take care of his own if we are his then he takes care of us and we don't have to worry number three i know this i want to live ready i want to love the things that he loves I want to do the things that make him happy and I want to hear him say well done let's pray with me father we thank you that you are a good God we thank you for the things that you've been speaking to our hearts and challenging us about this morning I pray that you would help me and and all of us here to to be open and honest with you and in in evaluating some of these things god it's not always easy sometimes the the things of this world have attraction and lure but god we want to be people who love the things that you love we want to be people who do the things that matter to you so holy spirit help us help us to grow Help us to learn to do those things. Help us to learn to, to hate the things that, that you hate and love the things that you love. God, we need your help. We need you to be working, teaching us, showing us, revealing us, giving us strength and courage to sometimes make those hard choices. But God, we thank you that we are safe in your hands. Lord, that as we put our trust in you, that you are faithful 
that you will not abandon us, that you will not uh, let us down, but God, that we are safe with you. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that victory is already yours. It is already done. The enemy is defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. Father, we love to walk in your victory. God, we pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, head to our website at BethelCRC.org.au or check out Bethel Family Church on Facebook.